there, and welcome to episode eight of Live from Vader's Castle. Uh, I'm joined today with my co-host, Dan McCrory. Hello there. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm um, ready for another exciting episode of our great podcast. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so today we're discussing, obviously, today's episode of The Bad Batch, uh, which we both brought up, up bright and early to watch. Yep. And then after that, discussing the book, Star Wars book, The Light of the Jedi. Exactly. Our first book club book, uh, Light of the Jedi. Yeah, the first book in the High Republic series slash publishing initiative. I've just sort of been refreshing. I, I read it about two months ago, so I've been refreshing the last couple of days. I've reread about half of it. I'm ready to talk about it. And John himself has managed to plough through the book as well. So we're excited to discuss the book. Yeah, I mean, I started it when we talked about it last month and it was announced for our book club. I was like, okay, I'll start it now. I got about halfway through and like a week and then just like put it down. And then, yeah, it's like the last week I was like, oh, I need to finish this. So I picked it back up and I've grinded my way through it. Um, yeah, that, that, that does happen sometimes, about. doesn't it? You you get like halfway through and then just put it down for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and then you end up like, finishing in like two sessions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing it later, actually. So yeah. it's a nice, nice different view of the world. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, Star Wars universe. So definitely plenty to discuss. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll kick things off talking about the Bad Batch. Um, we've had a new episode this morning, episode five. It was called Rampage, I think. It was called Rampage, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I think so. And this week's episode saw them coming up against some Zigerian slavers and rescuing a Rancor, which was um, something quite fun, something I was uh, interested to see. What's your What's your overall thoughts on the episode? Yeah, I mean, it's a fun little episode. Um, further, I think it does a lot better this week to further the plot with a bit more yeah. information about, uh, like, Fennec Shan and, um, you know, what the, how the Bad Batch are going to, like, go forward in the next couple of series. Like, I think they've set that up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was yeah, a fun episode. Um, and what is up is hopefully going to pay off and things like that. Yeah, I agree. I definitely preferred it to last week's episode i think it was another one of those like sort of like side quest episodes that sort of develop the characters but i felt this one actually did a better job of actually like developing the characters and the plot than last week um so i saw i thought we got some good stuff of omega um sort of learning a little bit more about as you said fennec shad the bounty hunters the underworlds and then sort of what the bad batches role and place within the galaxy is going to be in sort of the coming episodes. So overall, I thought it was a fun episode. I think I've had to, if I had to give it a, a ranking amongst the other episodes, I'd probably say first three above it, but then it's above episode four. I think that's probably where I'd put it. Yeah, I agree. That's fair. I mean, I think it's yeah, still episode one's obviously the best, but I think yeah, what we got in this episode was better than last week. Um, there were some nice, interesting little nods to um, some certain things, and uh, I like the bit at the end. I think that helps to explain something that didn't really need explaining, but it was cool to see, which we'll get into in a minute. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, see, you mentioned it. We got a special appearance from from Bib Fortuna. Jabba the Hutt's right-hand man, as he was described in this episode. It was good to see Bib Fortune, actually. I didn't think that was a character that would pop up, um, but it was good to see him. It made sense that he was there with a couple of his Gamorrean guards, and he was collecting Moochie the Rancor. Now, <laughs> there's a lot of discussion going on already at the moment. Is is this the Rancor that Luke Skywalker goes on to slaughter <laughs> in Return of the Jedi? I don't think I, I don't think I, we I know. assume so. I, think, I just assumed it is. Yeah, it, it seems like it because it's, it's an adolescent, and then by Return of the Jedi time, it would be sort of more fully grown, so it would make sense. However, I think 
whether it's just a legends thing that people have assumed is canon or whether it was actually canon but like i think everyone thought that yeah the rancor's name was oh, what was the name patsy or patsy or something like that apparently on like Wooker, so not on wikipedia um so like everyone pointed out oh no that's not the rancor but it could well be it could just be that's from Le- legends and they've um they've changed it up maybe yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. It's, I think it's either the rank or like it's just showing that this is something that Jabba um, has had has had for a while. Like the idea has been in his head for a while. He's like, all right, I'm going to get a, a rank or and um, I'm going to sacrifice people to it if they piss me off. So it's definitely it's either the rank or you know he goes through a couple before we see before we see him in Return of the Jedi. I don't know if the way to see, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, so, I almost thought. I almost thought that Bib Fortuna seemed to know the rank already. So could it have been that Jab already had it and then these slavers yeah. stole the rank off of him and he was just stealing it back? I don't know. I feel like if they stole off Jabba, they might have felt a little bit more wrath than just the bad batch. Um, but yeah, I thought it was at least a nice little hint that perhaps this is where the rank comes from. Um, it's nice to see that connection with um, with Bib Fortuna. And it's nice that we're sort of starting to see like the, the underworldy side of um the galaxy again because we sort of saw it a bit more la- like a bit last week and then a bit more this week i quite like that this is where the bad batch is <laughs> finding themselves at the moment is involved in these underworld characters yeah i mean it definitely seems um to me at the end of the episode as well that they are going to be some underworld like mercenaries going forward you know in order to make money and get information they need about um the you know the bounty hunter after them and who's hired them so I think that's going to be a, a little relationship they have with the underworld, at least for the next couple of episodes. Yeah, definitely alluding to the fact that this Sid character is going to sort of be their um, the quest giver <clears throat> so that they can earn some money as mercenaries. And I think that works quite well because if they're, you know, out in the Empire with no allies, it would make sense that the logical thing for them to do as skilled individuals would to take up some mercenary work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, makes complete sense to be fair. And I'd be interested to see where, where that leads them at, like as the series goes on, because I'm assuming there's going to be a couple contracts or something. Maybe they, um, they aren't up for doing because, uh, you know, they're not actual mercenaries. I mean, they're, they're soldiers, but like, they still have like a moral compass as opposed to like Boba Fett or like, Bosque or something. So I, yeah. I wanted to see if there's any um, contracts that they, you know, don't want to do, and what sort of dilemmas that puts them in. Yeah, I do imagine that's going to be something they're going to have to deal with is being given sort of a bounty or a or a contract that they they just don't want to do because it's you know they're good they're good guys at the end of the day. Um, but this one was good. I, I liked sort of the, the fact that you know they were sent off to save this kid. Um, from the slavers, so it was good to see the Zygerian slavers again. Obviously, they they had an arc in the Clone Wars. I think they're interesting characters in the sense of they're just an empire built off of slaving, um, and they struggled in the Republic because it was outlawed. But now in the Empire, they think, oh yeah, we can get away with it again. <laughs> mm. Which uh, it's like an interesting touch to see. So it's cool to see them again with their weapons, their lassos, and that. But they uh, they managed to catch the bad batch pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, poor Echo got knocked off that um, that high stand or whatever he was. He got knocked off that, and then that, the rest of them fell pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, they did much of a fight straight away. Yeah, they did pretty much have a pet dragon or whatever to to assist them um, in in capturing the bad batch because uh, that thing seemed pretty obedient. Yeah, I mean, I like. Yeah, obviously got captured, but then they, they rallied they rallied back in uh I really liked the bit with um Wrecker and the Rancor. They were like scrapping. I like you know, yeah. Wrecker was like trying to assert dominance with the Rancor. Yeah. And they both like wore themselves out at the end with just like <laughs> big swings. Yeah. Exhausted swings at each other. I like that. Really funny. It's good to see Record get a Wrecker. Wrecker? Wrecker. Get his um strong man moment again after last week after he just got his arse handed to him by Fennec Shand <laughs> it's good to see him literally just 1v1 a rancor and come out on top yeah just that's what goes back to proving that Reco is the boy um, yeah yeah I thought my overall 
sort of takeaway from this is that, you know, Omega can stand up for herself pretty well. Um, She was able to sneak off the ship away from the Zygerians. She was able to come over, infiltrate the base, sneak about, and then release the Rancor to uh, cause some havoc. So um, it's good to see uh, Omega slowly learning how to look after herself. Yeah, that was really cool. I really like the scene uh, at the, near the start of the episode where she was the only one that somehow worked out that the lizard lady they were talking to was um, Sid. Was it Sid, the um, informant they're looking for? I'm sure yeah, I think it was Sid. Yeah. And the other clones, like she, they obviously went up to her and was like, oh, we sit here in this bar. And she was just like, no. And they just took her out of word, which is, you know, shows how new to this kind of underground world they are, I suppose. But yeah, Omega was the only one that was just like, oh, no, you're Sid. Yeah, because um, they're, they're soldiers, aren't they? So they just sort of believe everything that's told to them. <laughs> they're just like, really? Because like last week, they didn't know how to bribe. <laughs> this week, <laughs> they just take someone's word for like gospel straight away. So it's good yeah. to see like them learning. And then obviously in this situation, Omega like clocks on instantly. She's like, you're Sid, aren't you? <laughs> to the little, uh, the little Trandoshan. I mean, is this because, does she know because she knew she was lying? Because she's force sensitive or something, maybe? I mean, yeah, I feel like again, all, these, confirming... all these little hints are getting left along. I don't know if I'm being completely honest. I'm almost at a point now where I'd prefer her not to be force sensitive. And these are just like talents and traits that, she's had cloned into her um and she's actually just pretty switched on mm. I, I, I think i'd almost prefer that i think if she ends up being full sensitive it might just seem a little bit too similar to like grogu um but so far i'm liking what they're doing with omega i think she's actually really likable um i think her relationship with the batch is really interesting i, I really like the little bit when um sid said that um, Omega was smarter than all of them and then she like <laughs> Rekka gave her like a little high five <laughs> in the background it's nice to see that sort of like brotherly relationship that those two have developed um, and then obviously Hunter telling her to stay on the ship because he's too worried about her getting involved and then they get clowned on and then she has to come rescue them um, <laughs> I just think it's a nice sort of dynamic that they're developing there when it's not just them constantly having to rescue her like She's also doing the rescuing for them, which makes her more of an active part of the team as opposed to just a kid that they're just having to drag along with them. No, yeah, it's um, it's nice to see her be more active and get to do more, and uh, you know, as you say, kind of um, like prove her position. Like she's yeah, she's not like a bit of dead weight that they're like carrying around because they feel guilty or something. You know, she actually they, she has that relationship with them, and they've um, and she pulls her own weight sort of thing you know I think that's they're slowly building her up to be very a useful member of the team which I'm really liking yeah definitely I also find it quite funny in terms of parenting and questionable parenting that they're just completely fine with her just stealing this bow and arrow (laughs) (laughs) but I'm sure in like further episodes she's going to learn how to use it and probably going to end up being a pretty talented marksman um, but I just found it so funny that she just takes that bow and arrow and they just don't even question it. And they're like, yeah, let's just give this little quick kid a, a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess yeah, it also shows that they're uh, they're trusting her, which I think is is a good step. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of that, if anything. Um, see if she's like, yeah, a little marksman, like she becomes like the legless of uh, the group. <laughs> that would be cool know. actually <laughs> just straight yeah. up legless <laughs> just goes around working people with a uh, laser bow I think that would yeah. be pretty cool she's going to have to do like a skateboard moment as well she's going to have to slide down some stairs like shooting with her bow and arrow at some point just to just to throw back to the old legless <laughs> I'd enjoy that actually that would be pretty cool um, yeah there was definitely a, a shot in the trailer of her like firing the bow so you know she acquired it this episode I'm assuming she's going to start training with it now um, mm-hmm. which will be good to see um, and the, I guess the one of the bits that I just really liked was the um, Echo really sort of um, his what's the word like because of Echo's experiences he was the one who was most like a front to slavery he was the one who was just like when they were talking about 
was Echo. Um, Omega didn't even know what slavery was. And then Echo was explaining it and he was sort of really furious about the whole thing. And as soon as they had this family, like he was the one who wanted to like save them, rescue them, take them to safety. I thought Reco had, uh, Reco, I just, I get the name so mixed up. <laughs> Echo had a nice little moment in that when you can see that his experience of essentially being held as a slave for so long has really changed the way that he behaves. Yeah. Um, when I, when they were, he was talking about it though, the thing that just popped into my mind was um, the way he described it to Omega. It was like, that's exactly what the Kaminoans do. Like we've, but, you know, the people they, they sell aren't, like, they're clones. Like, they're not, like, organic people that like, they've stolen from anywhere. That like, they create them, but then they sell them. Yeah. So it's, like, it's it's an interesting conversation, I think, that I wish they kind of went into a bit. I wish Omega kind of was, like, I was expecting it to be, like, that sounds like what happens with the clones. Are the yeah, that sounds that. like you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they're humans that are bought and sold, basically, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean... Uh, I know in like previous uh, Clone War stuff, uh, like with Rex and uh, Ahsoka, they've had that conversation about. Um, I think it was like season. I think it's def- it's in season seven. Like, well, Rex is saying like, well, without the war, you know, we wouldn't be around. Um, so they're bought and sold for a purpose. But then I suppose there's actually a, quite a nice things come out of that. So I, just, I think it's an interesting conversation that I hope that someone happens happens to have at some at some point in Star Wars. About like, yeah. the conversation about you know the clones being slaves, but then you know at the end of it they had a good life. Yeah, well, I agree. And I think get shot. I think the point of it is that like Echo wouldn't see himself as that because you know he's he's actually experienced being held captive against his will and everything, and him going back to you know being a clone serving for him is him having his freedom again. So I feel like he'd never see it as that. But the fact of the matter is that they were they were humans that were sold to the Galactic Republic for money and, you know, essentially bred to be in servitude. Um, and then even after the war has ended, as we're seeing, they sort of weren't even let free after the war ended. So I think it is, it is an interesting point. It does make for an interesting discussion, that sort of comparison between, you know, what, Star Wars actually points as like slavery. So, you know, one species holding another species captive and selling them, which is outlawed in the galaxy, um, versus what happens with the clones, which the Republic are perfectly happy to do, but could argue they don't have a choice to be whether they want to be sold or not. So, yeah, I do think it's a it is a very interesting topic. Yeah, I mean, and I, th- I think it'd be a really interesting conversation. It's probably not going to happen now because obviously it's like there's time has passed and Star Wars and stuff. But a really interesting conversation, I think, would be or like a really point, an interesting point of view would be like some of the Jedi talking about it in more depth, um, which I wish we got. You know, maybe like Yoda or like Obi Wan talking about. I think it'd be a really interesting conversation to have with Anakin actually, like maybe like Yoda or Obi Wan having a conversation with. Anakin about the clones being like slaves, etc. Obviously, because Anakin was a a slave when he was a, a kid. Yeah, Anakin has a particular that. issue um, whenever yeah. sort of slavery comes involved with missions and stuff. He always sort of loses his temper if there's ever like slaves on a on a mission because he himself and his mother were suffered under that. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well because uh, uh, I think there's a. I think Dave Filoni or who, you know, and the people working behind definitely uh, wrote, I, I feel like they definitely chose like to use this species and like at some point in this thing to, to really highlight um, things to do with like order 66. Cause obviously like, as you were saying, like the clones technically are slaves, you know, the born so by the Republic, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, they do have like, there are freedoms and like they enjoy what they do. Um, you know, they, they work with their friends and their brothers and I suppose after Order 66, now they really are like slaves. Like they, you know, have to do exactly as they're told by, um, you know, the Empire. They, all their personalities have been like basically just <laughs> wiped out. And like, I feel like it's it was an interesting episode to use those slavers and then have the the way the clones are now uh, are definitely like more slave like than they were in the Clone Wars. 
Yeah, exactly. Because they were bred for a war, which is now over, and now the war's over. It's just like, where's the freedom that they earn through mm-hmm. fighting in the war? You know, yeah. people like people like Rex and people like the Bad Batch, they got that freedom and cut. But you know, there's a lot of clones who are still left, and you know, they're still serving. You know, then you know they might think because of their programming and everything that they are just purely serving. But when you sort of look at it on a bigger picture, technically, <laughs> technically, you know, they're they're slaves, much like the sort of the slaves that we see in this episode. So, um, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting when um Star Wars raises these sort of bigger questions, um, sort of bigger galaxy wide questions, um. So yeah, I did think it was um, a fun episode, but I did think it definitely had some like character moments. We're talking about with Omega, and you know, seeing Wrecker again, scrapping. It's just definitely some good character moments. I think the last little point I'd make is they are definitely not leaving Wrecker's head, sore head alone, are they? <laughs> oh no! As soon as you said it hurt again, I was like, oh, we're back on this. It's like every episode, I'm gonna kind of try and keep an eye out to see like where they're leaving. Yeah, it. yeah, they're not they're not leaving it alone. <laughs> No, so yeah I mean hopefully it well not hopefully it pays off because that'll be sad and we don't want that to happen but uh, I'm interested to see where they're going with it and I'm pretty sure our theory on it was right that maybe further on in the series he's gonna um, he's gonna be good soldiers follow orders kind of guy yeah I'm hoping that they, they time that thing going wrong with Wrecker where when they bump into Rex and Rex just instantly knows how to deal with it he's like oh yeah get the chip out um, yeah, Rex has some experience with that so I think that would be good because we must protect Wrecker at all costs yeah I just don't want them you know we've had as you said we had these character moments where uh, you know like Wrecker and Omega's like little high five and like the character building moments we've had and then I just feel like the, the, the creative team you know Dave Flanny and that's going to pull out under our feet and just have him like basically turn uh, like crosshairs and it's just going to be awful because they've been building up this character relationship for like <laughs> the whole series and I reckon they're just going to pull the rug out from under us. Yeah, I really hope they don't. Like, I think they've got a difficult job to, to deal with because, you know, deciding what the ultimate fate of the Bad Batch is. Cause I think they have this problem every time they create new characters because, you know, they have to tie it in with what's already established and there was no Bad Batch um, within our knowledge the Bad Batch weren't cutting about in the original trilogy. So unless they sort of, you know, go deep undercover, they're going to die eventually. So, you know, what is going to happen there? You know, are they still alive at this point or are we going to see them die in series two, series three? Are they slowly all going to get picked off one by one? You know, how how painful is this, is this kid show going to end up being? Because I don't think I could take particularly Wrecker. Hunter's my favourite, but I think Wrecker's like the most sort of lovable. I don't think I could take Wrecker <laughs> dying or even turning. Both of them have got to be off the cards for me. I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ugh, it's going to be whatever happens. I think it's going to be, it's going to be as a, as tear-jerking as a, the end of Clone Wars, I'm pretty sure. It's going to, it's going to be intense. Well, yeah, exactly. They've already put us through that. <laughs> <laughs> They can't put us through something else. Well, I mean, yeah, they did that. The end of, I mean, the end of Clone Wars was, you know, very emotional. The end of Rebels was emotional. So I feel like we're not going to be. Yeah, I was going to say we, off so easy this time. We we had to watch Kane and Jarrus die. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just it's just too much pain already. We can't deal with any more. <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's not going to be. I feel like they might have like a happy ending ish, but I feel like there's going to be some tragedy in there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there will be. Um, and I guess sort of the, the little information that we got from Sid at the end about Fennec suggests that maybe our theory about the Kaminoans being the person who put the bounty out could be correct. Um, because it hasn't gone through the guild. Sid said it was a direct commission. I imagine, unless it's the Empire, and I'm still convinced it's not the Empire, I imagine this is the Kaminoans. I think I think it's a bit more confirmation of our of our theory that we had last week. Yeah, that's why I thought when she uh, when she said that you know she, yeah it didn't go through the guild you know the Kaminoans would want to keep it on the down low they don't want like yeah the, the guild knowing and then offering out so that like, all the bounty hunters like they um, 
seem to do in like the Mandalorian and stuff. Yeah, um, the, this guild, which apparently has this really strict code about only one bounty hunter being allowed on a bounty at once, but always seems to break that code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you, you can't trust bounty hunters, I suppose, can you? You can't trust criminals, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely that the Kaminoans are probably just, you know, phoned up. Um, what's her name again? Oh, God, I've drawn a blank. Fennec Shang. Fennec, yeah, phoned up Fennec Shang or whatever and been like, We'll give you this if you do this. Keep it on the keep on the uh, secret. Keep on the down low, and uh, that's your job. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think we're um, we're actually going to get more of the underworld in this series than I was expecting, and I think that's going to be really good to see. I imagine the next like the next few episodes are them going to be like doing jobs for this Sid to earn money and like have an ally. Obviously, I think that Sid's going to betray them because that sinister little line that she said at the end is like, "I'm good at keeping secrets." Like we know that she's not going to, she is not going to keep secrets. No, yeah, I mean that's um, a, that's the problem. I think when you have characters like the Bad Batch who are like so desperate to, you know, they need the credits and stuff to hide, but then in order to get the credits, they have to go to someone who's like well aware of why or like is aware that they also have a bounty on their head and that's why they need the money sort of thing. So yeah. Not, not I think there's definitely going to be some interesting dynamics playing out. Um, and I'm, I'm almost thinking like with a little connection here with Bib Fortuna and all that sort of stuff, I actually think Filoni has planned some like Book of Boba Fett connections. Because obviously Book of Boba Fett is the next show we're getting after this. So I feel like some of these little underworldy connections is actually going to like sort of link up in Book of Boba Fett. Maybe I'm wrong but maybe that's some of the stuff that we're starting to see. No, yeah, that makes sense, actually. Like, there'll be, I reckon there might be some characters uh, we get introduced to in yeah, the next couple of episodes when they start doing jobs for um, the underworld that I reckon, yeah, that, that we'll see again probably in Book of Boy or something like that, yeah. Like, surely they're going to bump into Bosk at some point. Surely they're going to, like, bump into um, maybe Dengar, you know. There's, like, some of these bounty hunters, if they're operating in that underworld, you know, they've already bumped into Bib Fortuna. Jabba's had a name drop. I feel like we're going to sprinkle some of those sort of underworldy characters in. And I think that, personally, I love that idea. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to who we see, hopefully, in a couple of episodes' time. Yeah. My final my final question on it, do you think we might get a little connection to, like, um, you know, like the Shadow Collective, Maul, you know, Black Sun, Crimson Dawn, all of that sort of stuff, if they're getting involved in the underworld, do you think Maul's side of the underworld might creep into things? Oh, maybe, actually. I didn't even think of that. I suppose because he escaped, didn't he, at the end of season seven. Um, so yeah, actually, he might he might show up. Well, like the um, definitely his like criminal underworld depart like side of his business, I suppose, might show up. Get yeah, like Crimson Dawn or yeah, because um, I think f- from what we know, he escaped and then went back to you know the Shadow Collective and um, that sort of thing up until when we saw him in Solo. So you know, this is the time period roughly where he would be operating as that. And if they're starting to get involved in the underworld, you know, could we see someone like, um, uh, what's, um, Paul Benny's character from Solo. What was his name? Oh God. I can't remember his name, but yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah, no, I can't remember it either. <laughs> but yeah, could, could we end up seeing, you know, characters like that sort of starting to show up? Um, his name is Dryden Voss. There we go. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I was like nearly saying Quinlan Voss. I was like, it's not Quinlan Voss, Dryden Voss. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could be see characters like that start to pop up. I hope so. I think a balance between like seeing the, the Empire, you know, them being involved with the Empire and then them being involved with like the Underworld. I think that like dynamic switching up between the two, you know, they're running from both almost, I think could be, um, could keep it really interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that would actually be really interesting. It'd be nice to see, um, like an interesting characters like, um, boss or something like, and a couple of those time every now and again, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Hopes for next week. My hopes for next week is that we, uh, catch back up with Crosshair 
because it's been two episodes in a row now that we haven't seen what's going on with like um, Target and Crosshair, all that stuff. So I'm hoping next week we get that sort of subplot again, like we got in episode three. Mm. Yeah, actually, no, I agree. That'd be interesting to see what they're up to at the moment, uh, Target mm. and Crosshair. That'd be nice to see. And then I'm hoping we catch up to Rex sooner rather than later. I know we say this every week and then <laughs> it's another week we don't see Rex, but I kind of just want to see my boy now. Yeah, hopefully soon. Hopefully that's way too much longer. Yeah. But anyway, overall, good episodes. Another good episode. Um, I think it was probably one of the one of the really fun episodes. I think like the fight sequence with Rancor and everything, really good fun. Some fun moments in there, some good character moments. So overall... I'm pleased where things are going at the moment. Yeah, me too. Um, I enjoyed the episode. I think it was, I think it was cool. Some nice uh, nods in it. Some uh, good character moments. So yeah, I'm enjoying it still. Yeah, still. Hope, I'm still sort of waiting for the pace to pick up a, a bit. But this is always what happens in like the first season of a of a, an animated show. It sort of like starts off quite big, and then it takes a little lull, and then it picks back up again. And I wouldn't say it's too much of a lull like it was in other shows but i do think like the pace needs to pick up a little bit so i'm hoping like next week or the week after we do start to ramp up the pace a little bit Mm, yeah no i agree right so i reckon we'll probably wrap up talking about bad batch just there um had a little bit of a discussion on it if there's anything that sort of crops up in next week's episode you know that sort of links back to this week's episode we might pick up a few more dangling threads next week um but for the remainder of this episode, we're gonna we're gonna do our book club, which the book that we have read the last month is uh, *Light of the Jedi* by Charles Soule. It is the first book in the uh, the High Republic series, um, the first book of the first wave of the first phase. Uh, there's a, they, they've broken it down quite a lot here. Um, it is the adult so in each those of you haven't been reading the high republic they're doing like three phases over like the next three years so we're told each phase is going to have like three waves of books and then in each wave of book there's going to be a an adult novel a young adult novel and a um well in america they call it middle grade but it's like young reader um so in this first wave we got light of the jedi by charles soul into the dark by claudia gray and A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland. Um, Light of the Jedi, obviously being the adult novel, is the big one. In each, you know, in each wave, the adult novel will be the big one with a big plot, and then the other two sort of tie into it. Um, so this was the first book of the High Republic that anyone got the chance to read when it came out in February, I want to say. I think it came out end of January. Um, but we've just got around to discussing it now. John, this is your first dive into Star Wars bookness. Give me all your thoughts. I want to hear overall thoughts on your your first experience of the High Republic. Um, I actually, and this is, I very much enjoyed it. Like, I find this, I found that this era of Star Wars is very interesting. Obviously, I, on the, I think it's on the inside cover of the novel, or up on the back, you have Obi Wan's quote of um. You know, a thousand years ago, Jedi were like... For a thousand protected. generations, the yeah, Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because this is a... The, 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 I think this is definitely the era where the, what the Jedi are, what they're originally meant to be. And I think what um, we were talking about last week about how at the end of um, Return of the Jedi, this is what Luke realised and stuff. that You know, the, the Jedi of this era are very much peacekeepers like they aren't the warriors and the um you know army leading generals that we've seen in like the clone wars um which is where we've seen most of our jedi action so i find this era of the jedi very interesting and just how like they interact with things and like how they talk to each other or like i'd say what i love about the um having to be able to sit the opposite having it in a book form it's just in how much detail um, you can get about like each different Jedi's like connection to the Force and like how oh, like yeah, Charles was, was written yeah. the um like how we, how they use the Force. Obviously, you watch it in a film on like you know Anakin will like, pick up a rock or they'll do like whatever. But in the novel and in the books, you can really understand about how you know the Jedi like feel the Force. So that it's really personal to them and how like they're not just 
it's not like a bit of telekinesis where they just like flip things about and stuff. You have to like feel the force running through you and stuff like that and how your emotions tie into it and stuff. I found that absolutely fascinating, like reading that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, just we are going to go into big spoilers. So if you haven't read the book, do prepare yourself. But um, just picking up on that point, you just said one of my f- absolute favorite things about this book is as how at like how Charles so soul Charles Soul wrote about the Force, um, uh-huh. and the fact that like each Jedi saw the Force differently. So there was that sort of chapter when Avar Chris was you know, getting all the Jedi together to move the Tabana gas out of the way of the the sun during the great disaster. And it was sort of listing that like, she sees the, the, uh, the force as a song as like music. You got like Bell Zetafar who sees it as a flame. Elzar man sees it as like an endless ocean and Buriaga sees it as like a tree. I just thought that that was so interesting. I've like never heard of that before in Star Wars, but yeah, it makes perfect sense that like, each Jedi sees the force in a different way. And I just thought that was such an interesting aspect. And sort of, as you said, on the wider point, like this, why I'm absolutely obsessed with this era at the moment is this is what the Jedi should have been. And they never were in, in the films that we've seen in the, you know, the content we've seen so far, this is what the Jedi were meant to be. You know, they were, it's not just the fact that they were peacekeepers, but you know, they were, they were more free thinking you know, like the Jedi Order was so dogmatic in the prequels, you know, they, they they had such strict rules. But in this one, they were sort of allowed to be a bit more free thinking, a bit more experimental with the force, like relationship. Like, you know, there was, they were sort of encouraged to look out for each other in a way that I never really saw in the prequels. Like as soon as they went to sort of help each other, Yoda would always be like, oh, attachments. Where like in this one, you know, obviously attachments were still forbidden and stuff, but you know, there was a scene where, um, Loden Greatstorm was talking about why they kept Ember, the charhound. And, you know, they were saying, you know, technically, uh, attachments were forbidden, but they said he was a member of the outpost. Therefore they had to look out for him. And I just thought there was so much of that of like Jedi sort of like bending the rules to, um, you know, bending the rules, but in a way that was like, not frowned upon, but actually like encouraged, like the Jedi were like actively encouraged to sort of, you know, be a bit more free thinking within the rules. It was much less dogmatic, you know, and they were just more, I guess, experimental with like the force and like the way that they sort of had a place within the galaxy, but still didn't want to be warriors. Like the, you know, there was a whole Jedi council meeting that went on and on just to decide whether they would be involved in that one battle at the end you know whether they were going to send one ship in because that's not their role but the republic didn't force them to do it they decided on their own whether they were going to support the republic and i think just seeing that difference between the jedi of old and the jedi of new i guess um was one of my favorite aspects of the book and the the wider high republic story i think yeah um it just made me like um one of my favorite Jedi, I don't know, I'm sure I mentioned it before in the podcast. One of my favorite Jedi from like the prequels and stuff is uh, like Plo Koon. And like, I always found like his, because he was like a Jedi who like just seemed like he was very, like he just wanted to, he just cared about people and like everything around him and stuff like that. You know, he cared about the clones, he cared about Ahsoka, you know. He was just very caring and loving, um, which I feel like was missing from a lot of some of the other Jedi in the prequel era who were more focused on like, fighting the war, winning the Clone Wars and stuff like that. So I feel like all the aspects I actually really liked about like Plo Koon and like, you know, something of the top Jedi, Obi-Wan and like Soap and stuff, all those things that make them like character loving, um, characters people love and like great Jedis is basically like how the entire Jedi order operates in the High Republic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually think this could be, one of my favorite eras in Star Wars, if it keeps keeps up with the uh, with the how it's been so far, it's yeah, such a good, such a story. yeah, and like I think if if you're if you're really into the era and it really into the Jedi, I think you'd love Into the Dark, because um, in Into the Dark, there's I think they introduce another four Jedi characters, all of which are very like unique in their own way, but they all are sort of that same level of like. I almost think that like, you know, 
Qui-Gon was like, he was a high Republic Jedi, but he was like 200 years too late. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he would have fit in perfectly back then. He would have been on the council. He would have made master or, you know, all the things that Qui-Gon didn't achieve in Phantom Menace because he, he didn't quite agree with the council. He would have been fine with back in the high Republic because they operated how he believed they should operate. You know, the, yeah. the relationship between light and dark wasn't so like, dogmatic either. Like, they, you know, there was still the stuff that they didn't do, but like there was almost uh, an acceptance of just like keeping that balance between light and dark instead of this sort of really dogmatic idea of just like good, light, good, dark, bad sort of thing. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, you're right. I mean, in the prequels uh, and stuff like the Jedi Council, I feel like it was always, there was always just like a, a straight line that was like, all right, you can't do any of this past this point because you know and like like what Yoda says to Anakin and um Sacred Clones maybe or no Revenge of the Sith um you know about attachments and attachments leading to like jealousy like hate etc 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 and it's just like they were so yeah like worried and dogmatic about like doing things that actually I mean forming attachments in a way that I think they have in like the Jedi and they make some you know, better Jedi. That's what you need to form attachments to things and to people to, in order to, you know, show that you care about them and things like that. And I think that's what got lost by the time we get to like the prequels. It's so like, you know, you, you can't form attachments with people. Like it's so, there's such like a fine line that they were just like, you can't cross this. Well, they're like, yeah, as you were saying in this era, there's a bit more flexibility and like, you can, you can like, do this, but as long as, you like i think it's just the point of like as long as you any everything you do is with you know love and care and you're trying to help people you can do like whatever you want i suppose yeah and i think it's like it's like that idea of protecting life is like so central to them um you know i guess we'll we'll talk about the great disaster you know the great disaster when the jedi get involved everything they do everything they do in that whole thing is about protecting life. You know, they're, they're constantly making these tough decisions to save more lives. You know, there's, there's moments where it's like, can we really do this? Can, can we as a whole Jedi order collectively push something out of space? How many of us are going to die trying to do it? But they all, they're all up for the task straight away because the amount of lives they can save. And that's just a side of the Jedi, which I know that was always the core but it almost feels a bit lost when you see like the Clone Wars and stuff that, you know, they're almost fighting a war for politics sake. And it's just like, no, the, the Jedi were always meant to save lives that they were peacekeepers. They were guardians. And I think seeing that, you know, particularly in the great disaster, I was just reading it and I was thinking, Oh, this is what Luke Jedi, this is what Luke Skywalker's Jedi order would have been. if Kylo Ren hadn't <laughs> burnt it to the ground. <laughs> yeah. I, I just had a quick, I just had an interesting brainwave where you were talking there about like protecting life and stuff. And I was like, you know, the arc in the Clone Wars, the um, Darkness on Umbara arc. Um, I don't think, yeah. I don't think a Pon Krell would have got anywhere near, or like he would have been kicked out of the order straight away if it had been like how it was in the High Republic times. But obviously, because hmm. he won battles and stuff, the Jedi didn't care, even though, you know, he was killing like, or under his watch, like twice as many clones were dying or something like that. I feel like under the High Republic watch, someone would have definitely pulled him up by now and looked into it more because, yeah, obviously protecting life is is the like main goal of the Jedi Orders. And I think definitely by the time we get to the prequels, that is lost. And, it, and as the prequels go on and the Clone Wars go on, it becomes more about just winning a fight instead of like protecting the life um, around it sort of thing. Yeah, and I think what like all the the um, High Republic writers have said in interviews and stuff is like the story they're essentially telling is how the perfect idealistic Jedi eventually would turn into the Jedi that we see in the prequels, and the prequels are still two hundred years away from like the Jedi. So obviously, there's going to be a lot that's going to happen, a lot which is going to change. But I think I think the High Republic story we're going to see is going to we're going to start to see those like changes in the Jedi Order, which is going to ripple on towards the prequel time. I think we're going to start to see some of these, something is going to happen, which is going to make them change the way they think. 
And I think we are going to see that at some point further down the line in these in these stories. But yeah, I agree with you completely. This this era has completely captivated me in the sense of like what the Jedi should be. Um, and that's why what I really love. In terms of saving lives, we we're talking about saving lives. For a for a Star Wars book, there's a lot of lives that don't, don't get saved in this one. Oh god, yeah. Like, the really great disaster really is a disaster. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that really shocked me <laughs> while I was reading it. Just like how many, like you just assume that some, that you're reading something and like someone's in a bit of like a life or death situation or something. You just assume that something will come along like the next paragraph and like save them or something. But there were so many instances where it just didn't happen and someone just died. I was yeah. like, oh. And then like, like okay. okay. There were just instances where like a million people died in a paragraph. <laughs> like, yeah. After the after they stopped the great disaster on Hetzel, there was the first emergence on I think the planet was called Abdallus, mm-hmm. and then the paragraph just ended like a million lives, like millions of lives were lost, and I was like, right, okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like a serious disaster. Yeah, and then, I mean later on in the book when um the oh, I can't remember the guy's name one the one of the guys the top leaders of the Nil. Yeah, Kassav. Kassav, yeah. Is he a Tweet? No, is he? I think Lorna D's the Tweetlek, I think. I, I can't remember what Kassav is. But um, like yeah, when he, you're talking about it. when he's um, extorting the planet mm. and then fails to destroy the emergence and then just like a billion people die or something. Yeah, was some, I think it was like 20, it was over 20 million, 20 billion. Like, the, that yeah, the emergence like struck a moon and like basically just wiped out everyone on the moon. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's happened. Yeah, yeah, they just yeah, this like I, I remember when I started reading the book, <clears throat> I was just like, right. Normally, these stories like they start to you know they grow a little bit over time. First chapter, <laughs> it's like we meet this captain, get to know the captain. We're like, oh, I'm quite liking this captain. Um, Captain Hedda Cassett, you know, she's flying the legacy run. You know, it all seems to go well. She's meeting all the children on the plane. You're like, oh, this is nice. This is cool. All dead. <laughs> like by the end of the first chapter. And I was like, right, okay, this is this is serious. And then the next chapter, we meet a nice guy. Like <clears throat> he's a scan tech. He's got a girl back at the bar that he drinks at. He's going to ask her out for dinner. He's dead. And I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> it's like one after the other, like dropping like flies. I'm like, Jesus. They do not. They do not shy away from heavy, heavy, heavy stuff in this. Yeah, I think it was um, his death, the, the scan tech technician guy. You know, because he was like so optimistic about finishing his shift, going down, like, talking to that woman at the bar, etc. You know, he seemed like he had a nice plan for what he was going to do, and then yeah, just dead. I was like, oh, right. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is this is serious stuff. Like, this is not. The kids like the normal like trial kind of kid friendly that like, Star Wars that we used yeah. to. It was like and it was, a lot of people were dead. It was funny. I was I was chatting to to Jack about it when he was he was reading it, and he's he's not quite finished it. But um, he was saying that when he read the first few chapters, he was just like, "Damn, there's so much death." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's the reason why they called it the Great Disaster. It really was like significant." Um, but then. I think it also the scale of the death also highlights the importance of the Jedi because the amount of people who don't die because of the Jedi's actions um, is pretty significant as well. Yeah, I mean, in that moment, in um, when all the fragments from the ship uh, from the Legacy Run uh, come out onto the the system and the the fuel, was it the fuel that's going to run into the moon? Not the moon, the uh, yeah, sun, it's the, basically the, the Tabana gas, yeah, which is just the Tabana destroy gas, destroy everything. Which, yeah, they do, which one of the science guys says is basically going to um create a chain reaction in the sun and basically blow up the whole system. So then, yeah, the, the Jedi all linked together and use a, a force push, I suppose, on the tank to move it out of the way of the sun, yeah. Um, so that is billions of lives. Yeah, that's one of my favorite chapters in the entire book. Like the way it's just written is yeah. so beautiful. Because like Avar Chris, who I love by the way, she's such a cool Jedi. She has this really unique ability to sort of connect the force between other Jedi. It's sort of like in Legends there was like a battle meditation, which was a thing. But in this, it's sort of 
much more than that. It's just like it's almost like walkie-talkies between Jedi, but it's like they can sense each other and she can help create that connection. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. That's a really nice concept. She can sort of like oversee the battle using connection. That's cool. But then they took it one step further and it was like, she's going to single, like she's going to, she's going to sing like single-handedly connect every single Jedi, not just who was on Hetzel Prime, but you know, you even get a bit where Master Yoda, like on the other side of the galaxy, like tunes in to help. And they're all just going to, nudge the exact same point all at once to like push the gas out of the way of the sun and it's all about the music and the song and all that sort of stuff but like jedi drop in left right and center because it takes so much concentration and that like the whole like the collective sort of sigh of relief you get at the end when they actually manage to do it like you can feel it like you're just like oh my god you put the book down and you're like oh thank goodness for that they did it <laughs> yeah that was such a cool moment and yeah the as you said the way it was written was it is actually really you know beautiful to have each because you obviously have um ayla chris is that ava chris ava chris is like interpretation of the force yeah. as a song and etc but then as the book goes on you get different um some of the more focused um story driven jedi in the in this arc because there's a lot of them that are just kind of like it just says a jedi or something like but there's the ones that are named get that their own little couple sentences about how about their point of view on it and like yeah. their force view on it and how it is for them. And I, yeah, yeah I, I particularly like um, Elzar Man. Uh, I like him a lot as a character anyway, because he's like the bit of the rogue Jedi who's always off doing his own thing and he's always getting mm. himself in trouble and he hasn't quite made master because he's always doing that sort of thing. But I like his sort of seeing it as like an endless sea. I thought that was really cool. And he made quite a significant contribution to the, to the force push as well in the in the great disaster um so yeah i thought that bit was really good i'm sort of pressing looking at time so i'm going to press on to something else i'm going to talk about what the uh one of my favorite storylines throughout the book and i'm sure you probably agree with um bell zetafar and loden Greatstorm. um i love these two characters so much <laughs> yeah they are they have i mean yeah you've got um loading great storm who's the uh you know, Jedi Master and then Bell, who is uh, his battle one. And they, I think they have such a good relationship about how uh, the whole, I mean, the main um, challenge, I suppose, that Bell has the whole book pretty much is the, his, his um, force falling sort of thing, or like, yeah, like not, not hitting the ground at terminal velocity sort of thing. <laughs> you know, safe landings, basically. <laughs> yeah. And in the whole book, he's his master's trying to get him to like. I mean, I think the first time I see it, they jump out of his ship. Yeah, they um, jump out the little vector during the great disaster. Yeah, yeah, jump out. Yeah, and um, Bell doesn't manage to like slow himself, so he has to so Loden has to catch him. And then later on in the book, I think Loden just like pushes him off a cliff, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, when um, they're on Elfrona, which is where the majority of their story takes place. Um, at the yeah. Jedi outpost there. Yeah, Loden just like yeah. Thulon just pushes him off the edge of a cliff and then has yeah. the other Jedi in Dira just waiting at the bottom to catch him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously because it's just, because as much as it is dark and dark and sad in some points of the book, obviously because it is a Star Wars book and it's meant to be enjoyed, he does eventually get the hang of it. Um, yeah. And I, I really love that moment because it's pushing towards the end of the story when he has the kit that he's rescued that the, 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 the Nile have taken the, the family hostage and he sort of jumps out the ship with this kid and he has to, like he has to save him, the fall now because it's not just him, but it's this kid as well. And like, mm. that's what gives him the push to like finally save him, like to, to fix the landing. Um, but yeah, I really loved their master and apprentice connection because he was like there were parts of the book when he was saying that just like every day is impossible because it's just loading constantly forcing like impossible tasks on him and getting him to just come up with a solution um but i just think that loading is such an interesting jedi because he's just like yep that's how you learn <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i i used to i think he's one of the great um great characters in the book you know just yeah. the way his relationship with him and then, just uh, 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 he's got he got a yellow lightsaber as well. I'm pretty sure, which I he thought does. was really cool. Yeah, he does. But he I mean, looks really cool. Looks he's cool. he's on so. the cover of the book, 
Um, yes. He's a really cool looking Jedi. And one of my favorite moments, such a small moment, but when they're during the great disaster, when they're trying to let all the people into the pleasure cruiser, when they're getting kept out of the fortress, there's all these marauders like shooting at them. And he just says, oh yeah, they'll just like keep reflecting their bullets for a while. And then he uses the force to pick all of them up, just drop them. <laughs> like none of them yeah. die. They all just get injured. And he spends so much time in that fight trying to ask people to like surrender so he doesn't have to scrap them. But when, as soon as he has to scrap them, he's just like, yep, yeah, I'll just lift them all up and drop them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, that links back to what we were talking about earlier, like, that was like the last resort. I mean, he went up to like the, the gate with the guards and stuff and tried to talk them down. And they were like, no. And then obviously when the Mordors turn up, yeah, he's trying to get them to surrender. And it's like, well, as soon as they start, you know, trying to kill people and stuff, that's when they're like, he's like, okay, I need to actually, you know, yeah, fight. Yeah. And then I think one of, one of the other characters I really, really liked, which is part of their storyline, was Porter Angle. Mm. Yeah. The Blade of Bardotta. Because um, you meet him at the beginning, he's like a 300-year-old Jedi. You know, he's, he's quite comical, like he's serving them this stew and he's sort of the chef of the, the Jedi outpost. And then you get to him actually having to fight. <laughs> and he just, <laughs> he just dominates, doesn't he? <laughs> he's a savage. Yeah, I pretty enjoyed reading his um his fight scenes. I hope we get to see more of it because it is very much alluded to that he's... Um, I thought he was one of like the best warriors the Jedi yeah, had. Yeah, like an absolute one, legend of the the order. When it yeah. came to it, yeah, and I'm really excited to see. Hoping the next book or the one after or something, or in some different media, like yeah. see him at like full fury going for it. I, I, I imagine that like obviously the Rising Storm, which is the sequel to like the Jedi, is coming out next month, um, and a lot of the reviews are out for it already, and a lot of the reviews say that like a lot of the characters you love from the first book you see again. So I do imagine we'll see like the likes of like Porter Engel and, and Bell again. Um, and I guess we're going to, we're definitely going to see Loden again because, you know, at the end of the book, Loden gets captured by Markion Rowe and um, he gets a pretty savage sort of almost torture. He's at the end of the, at the end of the book, Marky and Rose basically just saying like, "Oh, you're you're, you're going to help me out here. Like, I'm not scared of the Jedi. I'm going to um. Well, let's just I guess let's just talk about the the villains. We see the Nile was sort of the wider villain, but then Marky on Rowe himself, the leader of the Nile, um, sort of reveals himself by the end of the book of being like the villain villain. Um, you sort of first meet him. He's the eye. He's like got these three sort of nutty Tempest runners who are all just ready to fight, and then he's sort of there they don't like they don't answer to him technically but he he gives them the paths so they basically answer to him but um by the end of the book he sort of really reveals himself that he orchestrated the great disaster he orchestrated everything and he's the real villain and he's just got this family long feud with the jedi which we have no idea what that is um what did you think of him as a villain i i thought it was really good actually like um because as you said yeah in the he was the eye and like the people below him like kind of answered to him kind of didn't obviously they he had stuff that they wanted so they kind of did what they were told but then yeah as the book goes on you kind of he becomes more and more dominant and at the end yeah he's like the big bad you know he's captured um Loden um he seems to yeah and he seems to have some sort of family long hatred for the Jedi um and he's got why. he's got a weird purple artifact as well which has been the talking point for many months in the community yeah. and what on earth is this purple artifact i think there's a lot of theories of whether this is somehow sith related i imagine it could be perhaps uh, we'll have to wait and find out but yeah i thought he was a really interesting villain because not only is he um very smart you know steps ahead of everyone sort of thing a lot of power uses the chaos of the nile to just do so much damage but he just has no fear of the Jedi. Mm. Like he completely is just like, yeah, they can come at me. I'm not, I don't, I don't fear them. And I think the whole question of the High Republic is if the Sith went around, what would actually be a good villain for the Jedi? And I just think like the chaos of the Nile combined with their leader, just being completely like, yeah, I don't fear you guys. You you, you should fear me. I think is a, a really strong villain. Yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to yeah, the next book to see how, I mean, what I want to see what his like 
plan is, I suppose, why I needed the Jedi, why I needed to take a capture a Jedi. And then I'm just interested in what he does next. Because, yeah, as you said, it is a big question of, without the Sith, what challenges the Jedi? Um, so I'm really, I'm really interested to see what sort of um, plans he comes up with in the next book and how he like is a big pain in the Jedi's side, I suppose. Yeah, and I think the, the big thing that the Nile have going to them going for them which is a really huge part of this book is their ability to create these paths these like side road hyperspace like jumps where they can sort of just jump in and out they don't use typical hyperspace lanes and hyperspace became a really big theme of this book i didn't really expect that coming into it um but we got a bit of a connection you got mary santeca who's a part of the santeca clan who obviously law santeca is the guy from the force awakens right at the beginning who knows luke skywalker so it's that little connection but the santecas are like the hyperspace prospectors they planned all the routes but now we find out that one of the santecas is has this ability which sounds like some sort of force sensitivity where she can create paths for the nile so they can just jump in and out of somewhere they can just jump in kill loads of people and jump out without having to use like pre-existing hyperspace routes and obviously that was how the great disaster happened. That was how they fought in the battle. We haven't even got to the battle yet, but they just used little paths to jump and smash into ships and stuff like that. I think that makes them really difficult villains to deal with. And I'm really excited to see where they, where they take that. Yeah, me too. I mean, um, it's very hinted at that. Well, it's, they talk about how like hyperspace is so new and stuff. So I'm really interested to see like how that develops to be like the hyperspace we get in um all the media we've seen so far um i'm really yeah i'm really interested to see where they go with it and what they how they intertwine the the paths and our hyperspace into like i suppose like the the storyline yeah and i think it was really interesting because like the the middle chunk of the book was sort of a mystery of putting together you know what happened with the legacy run and where the emergencies are going to come out can they get the flight recorder to figure out what happened who's to blame etc etc find out it was the Nile obviously you know when they have that little moment where Buriaga like chats to the kid and the kid says that he like saw the the three strikes of lightning on the legacy run before it blew up so it's all like a constant mystery which I think is really interesting but you know they are they're a dangerous they're not to be messed with you know they're not just these like crazy vikings like space vikings but they have a power that the jedi don't have and i think that's what makes them pretty pretty difficult yeah that's a good point actually i mean yeah i suppose the the view of the jedi in that point in time is that yeah you know if a jedi shows up they'll do whatever they need to do like they can do whatever they need to to get their task on a win you know from the point of like most people so yeah, I suppose having a, a villain with like a power the Jedi don't have, because the Jedi seem all powerful to everyone, um, that's actually quite interesting. And I'm, I'm looking to see. Yeah, I'm excited to see just what they do with it in the next book. Yeah, and it's certainly like you know, there's a lot of obviously we meet the new Chancellor, um, who is a much better Chancellor than Palpatine ever was. <laughs> um, but like the Republic really seems to care, you know, and really seems to want to make the galaxy a better place. And then you have these villains who are just the complete opposite they just want to destroy everything and turn it into chaos so i do think it's going to set up a lot of really good conflict to come um but i mean there's so i mean there's so much more we could talk about and uh don't know if, even if we have the time to talk about it so it might be we might have to come back to it in another episode to pick up some of the other plot points um but obviously the the, the big battle the battle of kerr there's a lot that goes on there you know with skier losing his arm and Mm. Master Jorah Malai dying. A lot of that stuff continues on in some of the books and comics, John, if you wanna <laughs> if you wanna keep up with that. Um oh, I will. and then you know, obviously Avar Chris and Elzar Man, they have an interesting relationship, very close friendship. Is it is it pushing on a romance at some point? I could almost see it. But obviously <laughs> it's forbidden within the order. Um and then I think, you know, the I guess mentioning Elza Man, he has this big vision at the right at the end of the book of you know the Jedi dying and there there being a lot of fear and suffering. Um, so I imagine <laughs> that's probably the Nile causing a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I have to assume so. Um, I just I'm really excited to see what they put in the next book. Like, I just I can't wait for it to come out so I can um, find out what happens next and learn more about the Republic because yeah. I find it such a fascinating time in the, in the Star Wars universe 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, I think, I think what, what we'll just do is we'll just have some sort of segments of podcasts over the next couple of weeks, just sort of like talking about like the high Republic bits and bobs, because there's some stuff from this book that we haven't even had a chance to talk about. And yeah. um, sort of more bits and bobs that like you could, you could now go and read the higher, you could catch up on the high Republic comics now that you've read light of the Jedi as well, because it kicks off just at the end of this book where they, um, open up the starlight beacon so you can now jump into that um so yeah i think we'll, we'll keep it as an ongoing discussion because the high republic is like it's definitely the big thing which is going on at the moment and it hasn't it hasn't let me down yet um i'm very intrigued about the future of it yeah me too um right so we'll call it there that was our uh our first book club book review i think overall by the sounds of it very positive for both of us um, I mean, for me, I've read quite a few Star Wars books. It's definitely in my top three. I think it's probably my second or third favourite book. Um, John, it being your first one, it's probably your favourite. <laughs> <laughs> so far, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll give you guys a new book next week. Give us a week just to figure out what we're going to do next. And we'll, uh, we'll give you a new a new one next week that we'll then talk about in a, a month after that next week. Um, and then we'll keep this going because it was a fun segment. It was a fun thing to talk about. And then um, we'll be back next week to talk about the next episode of The Bad Batch. And probably, as have the last couple of weeks, we end up doing about half hour on Bad Batch. We'll probably chat more about The High Republic next week because there's all sorts to, to dig into. Yeah, sounds good. Looking forward to it. Perfect. Well, uh, we'll wrap up there. It's been a fun episode. Um Thanks for listening. If you could, uh, if you want to hear more from us, check us out on uh, Instagram at Live from Vader's Castle and on Twitter at Vader's Castle Pod. Uh, fairly active on Instagram, um, posting all sorts of stuff over there. So if you give us a follow and uh, let us know if you're enjoying the, the podcasts, and we will uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. See you next week. Thank you. Yeah, for see you next week. Yeah. Cheers. Bye.